0: big thank you to Rainbow Grocery, our favorite grocery store here in the San Francisco Bay Area for being our sponsor because a healthy body is a sexy body. And speaking of being sexy everybody I'm wondering if you've got toxic blind spots getting in the way of the health not just of your body but of your love life, because you know your love life and your body are connected. Well, tonight's guest, Michael Evans, is asking the question: Are you living life to the fullest and loving life to the fullest? We're going to be speaking to Michael Evans, the author of Borrowed Themes, a provocative new book that encourages readers to reevaluate their belief systems. And here at Modern Love, we know that real love starts with great communication. And that's a learned skill. It takes training. It's not something we're all born knowing how to do. So from our trainings to our mastermind programs to couples therapy, we bring together psychology, science, and spirituality so that you can create massive change in your life by breaking your toxic patterns, getting rid of toxic love. So if you're interested in finding love, maybe you've given up, healing a marriage or relationship on the brink of divorce or breakdown, whether you want to create an exciting new career. We're here for you, so you can visit us at com. or join me for one of our live monthly Modern Love trainings right here in our training academy in San Francisco. We've got an upcoming seminar. If you're joining us before April 8th, you can Still join that seminar all about love and money. It's love and money creating creating massive miracles now 2.0 and it's an advanced training. So let's get right into our first question on our Ask Dr. Brenda, and you can send your questions to us. It says, Dear Dr. Brenda, I'm a woman in an exclusive committed relationship with in quotes Danny. We've talked about a future together and maybe getting married. My only issue is I can't seem to keep him off of dating sites. Even when I catch him red-handed, he'll deny or blame it on his friend using his idea. I've asked him over and over to delete these sites, but he won't. He continues to tell me he's in love with me, wants only me, etc., etc. Please help me understand his obsession and if there are tools I can use to be more effective to talk to Danny. Well, Deborah in Dallas wrote that letter, Deborah, look. I want you to be really clear that if Danny is all in and committed dating sites are completely off limits, there is no way a dating site has anything to do with the road to marriage a committed relationship. Danny has a problem. You need to address it head on. This is one of the times when I have to say, you need to go straight to him and say, if you want a committed relationship with me, we've got to get help. If this isn't resolved, it's over. There's no ifs, ands, and buts about it. So let me tell you, we all have blind spots, just like Deborah or Danny, and borrowed scenes, written by our guest Michael Evans makes the case that living in blind faith keeps people trapped in a mechanical life and prevents them from achieving their true life's potential. Michael is a successful businessman, a published author, but in college he contemplated suicide and realized he had nothing to lose by chasing his true dreams. He turned to philosophy and literature and more recently to science, studying astrophysics at the University of Copenhagen and learning about astrophysics. Now he's a CEO of an international security company, devoted husband and father, and is going to share one of his 27,000 days in the present moment. Welcome, Michael. So glad to have you join us.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much.
0: Listen, you tried to commit suicide. What happened in your early life that led you to a really desperate state of mind and feeling Hopeless.
1: I think it was. Um, I don't think it was one uh, one particular event. I think it was an accretion, a uh, buildup of events over the years. Um, you know, growing up poor. You know, my we were my single mother. My mom worked really hard, uh, tried to do the best she could for us, um, but she struggled, and um, we we struggled as a result you know, you kind of take the energy of your parents, um, for better or for worse. So we struggled with her and, um, that led me to some, you know, really poor grades in school. And, um, I really didn't, I really didn't have anyone to look to for relationship advice because I had saw, you know, i had seen what my, what my father did with my mother. He treated her terribly. And, uh, I, I I just, I really didn't know how to handle things, you know, and in college, you know, I was dealing with the death of my best friend at the time, and um, the breakup of a a girlfriend, right, and um, it was just a really tough, really tough time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wanted to say something uh, before you go on, Michael, let me just mark this, because there are a lot of people in our radio audience and podcast audience who may relate to having been through childhood trauma. I think a lot of people suffer childhood trauma, and you may not realize that if you have that, then you've got what we call an adverse childhood experience. You can check our postings there. We had an author on just a month ago talking about adverse childhood experiences. And when you have one, guess what? One of the first places you see a child struggling is with grades. So, Michael, what you went through affected your grades, affected your self-esteem, and then it sounds like some heavy hit with the breakup and with your friend dying later on.
1: Right. And, and it, what happens is, you know, it's, you know, when you talk about suicide, you know, most people try, we try our best not to think about death. You know, mm-hmm. we're, we're on call away from being starkly reminded of our own mortality, and then we take on the full-time job of not dying, and that's when you're, you know, diagnosed with something, but when you're actually contemplating taking your own life, uh, you start to realize that your attention, it was bound in petty concerns year after year when your life was normal. But when you're at this point, you realize that you, it's, it's like you, you, you get a real good look at your life. And mm. when really things don't change for me, I, I decided from that moment on that, well, if, if it's suicide on one end of the coin and, and on the other, the other end is something, I'm just going to go for whatever I want in life. And that's when things change for me at that very moment.
0: So you decided, you know what, if I'm at a point where I'm this desperate, I might as well just turn it around. Is that what you're saying?
1: That's yeah, amazing. Right. Well, it's or nothing. I mean, so in my mind, I pretty much died at that moment. And the old me which is something that I write about in my book, Borrowed Theme, is the first person you have to get over. And I, I got over them at that moment. You know, the hmm. you of yesterday. The ability. So to when think. you
0: say a borrowed theme, what do you mean by borrowed theme? What does the title of that book mean?
1: Well, it's a theme. It's, it's a bundle of thoughts that were never ours. Okay, so that's the, that's the subtitle of the book. But it's more about the mimetic replication of shibboleth. In other words, Something that's repeated and passed on from generation to generation—it doesn't really make any sense. Mm-hmm. And do mm-hmm. with religion that has to do uh, organized religion, at least that has to do with um, you know our education system, even our marriages these days. Um, mm-hmm. What people, when people are, you know, so many girls are, are you know, waking up in their teens. And, and they just had this dream of getting married. And, you know, it's the marriage. It's not the marriage that they're thinking about. It's the wedding. You know, it's, it's their big day. It's the big wedding, you know. But yes. It's, to me, it's like getting a I couldn't a agree co-
0: with you more. I couldn't agree with you more, Michael. Now, you and I are on the same page here because I am constantly saying to people, invest more in the marriage than in the wedding. A wedding and a gorgeous big day and a big party to celebrate is just fine. However, if you want it to last a lifetime, there's got to be an investment in learning how. And what you say about collective beliefs being passed generation to generation, everybody who's listened and been part of our radio audience knows that that is scientific (laughs) truth that every one of us, picks up patterns from childhood, we pick them up from our parents without even knowing we've done it. And it programs what we call the subconscious mind. That part of the brain, everybody, that's formed before the age of nine. So I am definitely going to geek out on you and say Michael has got the science to back him up. Go ahead, Michael. So you came to this realization about these borrowed things, these old belief systems, and how were they affecting you? What was the belief that you could identify, that you had to break through?
1: Well, it was just one after another. You know, um, yes, I I was a a law enforcement officer. I was a law enforcement park ranger. I was a federal police officer. You know, I did all these things. But before that, in high school, I was arrested six times. So before I actually got into law enforcement, I was in and out of jail. And as a juvenile, I started to believe that I was a bad person. I started to live up to the, the reputation that I was building in my mind about who I was. And, mm-hmm. you know, the local cops in my area had no problem reinforcing that. You know, any time mm-hmm. they could get their hands on me, they, 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 were, they, were, they were doing it. So I was kind of like playing the victim because I was – believing that this is what I was. I was a person who was, I had bad grades. I was the person who was going to be, you know, be getting arrested. And, you know, I believe. Yeah. And
0: Michael, happens. did you ever make the connection between the trauma you had been through? Because on that list of adverse childhood experiences, we have divorce, we have missing parent, and we have witnessing uh, any kind of trauma or violence between parents, and we have poverty. Those are all in the top ten, top ten right. traumas that a child can experience.
1: So, witnessing you know, for everyone who's been through
0: it, it doesn't mean you're bad.
1: Go ahead, yeah, Well, Witnessing violence was something that, it's one of the first memories I had as a child. You know, mm. when I think back, the first memory I have was my father beating my mother. and hmm afterward, and us, you know, shaking and being afraid, and him just, you know, being very quiet about it, and just, you know, I hate to say Hillary Clinton, but, you know, she never broke cadence on stage, no matter if she was fainting or not, this was my father. So, he could do what he just did, and just smile at us the whole time, and that was psychotic to me, but. Yeah,
0: that is psychotic.
1: The first memory I have. That
0: is psychotic, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So for you, yet makes you, and I, everybody, I want you to make a note of these talking about this is very, very important, to understand the connection between adverse childhood experiences like the ones, Michael, you're sharing with such searing honesty, and I really appreciate you being honest, because there are a lot of people who think they're alone. They think they're the only one who suffered these adverse childhood experiences, these ACEs, and they are devastating for a child. But there's another thing. Let me just throw this in. When you're a child and you witness violence in your home, you become what we call a survivor witness. And we know that witnessing violence in the home is as traumatizing to the child who sees it as to the person who experiences it. And you guys know I don't throw things up on the wall to see if they'll stick. There's hard science on that, that those children, because they're innocent, the child's brain isn't finished, always end up feeling bad about themselves and blaming themselves. So if you can relate to Michael's story, then you're going to love what he has to say about how he was able to transform those beliefs that it was his fault or he was bad or any of that. So tell us more about how you shifted. Michael, how did you come to the new beliefs after your criminal career and then becoming a law enforcement person?
1: Well, I had to, you know, I had to just keep moving and moving and moving. I had a dream, a burning desire to do this, you know, to get into law enforcement at the time, and I was faced with the word no just time and time again. I was the person who Drove across country, flew across country, saved my money, went everywhere, took tests, and I was told no, 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 no. It was always no, and everyone around me was telling me to just give up, forget about it. And I just I refused to hear that. Uh, that wasn't even on the table. But for everyone else around me, it was like a big joke because everybody you know, would just tell me like it's just not going to happen. It's not in your future. And Just one day, um, one detective who was doing a background check on me, his name was Ralph Sanchelli, you know, I got to give him a lot of credit because he changed my life. He sat me down. I was ready for him to tell me, sorry, no, and he told me the opposite. He said something to me that stuck with me, something that I tell people now. I tell kids all the time. He said, you know something, Mike, and I was ready for him to say it, but he said, you're not a bad guy, and I'm going to give you a shot. And I didn't even know what to do. I was prepared oh. for him to tell me that it wasn't going to work out. And mm-hmm. um, he became a mentor of mine. Um, he ended up going into, like, an internal affairs division where nobody wanted to talk to him, but he was the only guy I wanted to talk to. And he actually taught me, you know, he taught me a lot. And, um, you know, I owe him a lot. And I, and I use a wow. lot of things. I use it now.
0: So here's what turns so many of us around. Somebody says, I'll give you a chance. I'll give you a shot. And it sounds like a big part of what you do is you give it back. You give it back. You give other people a shot. So when you, your opportunity that you had this, I, sometimes those people, I call them the miracle workers. Sometimes I call them the angels. When they come into your life and everything changes, what did you begin to recognize about yourself?
1: I realized that, first of all, I, the, the grades that I had in school meant nothing because I was valedictorian in the police, police academy. And that was a shock to a lot of people it wasn't a shock to me. My heart was in it, and I knew that my horrible high school grades weren't representative of what, what, what my knowledge was or what my abilities were. So right.
0: They were the, representative the of how traumatized you've been. And that happens for so many of us. And I just have to tell you, Mike, I can relate to your story. I was a kid who was barely getting by in school, who was on the verge of flunking out, And the teachers would say, oh, my God, why is Brenda always the kid lagging behind? We know it's not a question of smarts, but I couldn't do any better because I was a traumatized kid, too. And it wasn't until I got a really nice dose of therapy under my belt when I actually had gone as far as graduate school, struggling and depressed and anxious, and I got a great therapist who Solveig Thompson, very grateful to her, and Wilbur Ben, my first two therapists. I've got a long line of them now, Mike, but they turned me around. So I can relate to what you're saying very much. And for those who struggled in school or are struggling, I say follow Mike's lead, follow my lead, get some help, learn better, do better, because most likely... You're packing some trauma that needs to be unpacked and healed. So, in your book, Borrowed Themes, it's a continuation of a book you wrote called The Real Matrix. You argue that teachers,
1: parents,
0: society, and even popular media impose psychological chains that set limitations on people. Tell us what you mean by that.
1: Well, If you, well, let's take a magazine, for instance. You take a look at what the magazines are telling um, people, women in particular, um, about what, you know, what pretty is and what their bodies are supposed to look like. Um, Your education uh, is based on, you know, uh, the teachers will tell you, well, you got this, you know, you got these questions wrong. You didn't memorize something, usually some type of battle date, something irrelevant in your life. And then they'll give you a grade that you will now believe that you are, I'm I'm a D student. Uh, I'm not pretty based on this magazine because I don't look like this, you know, things like that. And what what happens Mm -hmm. is you start to believe, you you build this story up in your head. there's There's this like movie playing in your mind, okay, the Toltecs call it a dream, you know, so you're dreaming. But what's happening is you're dreaming up your life. You're building this reputation and you're living up to it. So what you, what you are thinking, what you're experiencing in your mind is coming out of your mouth. It's coming out of your pores. It's coming out of your hands when people are violent. It's, it's what you're holding inside, and it's just like a movie. And the title of the movie is I'm Not Good Enough. And that's the, that's the thing that people believe about themselves. And that's what my right. the whole thing is about. It's just a, it's just a, it's a, it's a story. It's all a story. So when you say
0: borrowed themes, what you're saying is those things we grew up with become the theme. And the core theme is I'm not good enough or I'm not lovable or I'm not worthy. I'm not safe. Therefore, we do what? What does that lead to? That kind of thinking. Because you've made a very eloquent case for how changing thinking can change our lives. But what does the negative thinking lead to?
1: Well, it leads to depression first, you know, it leads mm-hmm. to overeating, uh, it leads to lack of sleep, and it leads to the need, or at least the, the thought of the need to numb yourself from the reality that you're creating in your mind. So people use drugs, they use uh, legal and, or illegal drugs, but they use alcohol. You know, people stop at the at the local bar on their way home, you know, not always for a social reason, but because the dread of being with themselves at home and trapped in this, what I call the of life. Well, you know
0: what? Let me say this while we're talking about addiction. Everybody thinks alcohol and drugs are the biggest addictions. No, no. The biggest addiction in America is food, everybody. And right behind food is shopping because you can get high on food, numb out on food, or get high or numb out on shopping too. So be aware. It's not just the drugging and the drinking. They are the ones that are so destructive, we flag those first, but there are a lot of people suffering from the other addiction. So, Michael, pause there for one sec, because I love what you're saying about being aware of the thoughts, being aware of the pain, being aware of the habits we may develop to numb ourselves out. And I want to go to our second Ask Dr. Brenda question, because I think this relates to what you're talking about. This question came in from a mom in Petaluma. She doesn't give us her name. She says, since the moment my oldest son enlisted in the Army, our family's been concerned he would be deployed. Although he graduated from high school near the top of his class and was going to go to college, his plans were thwarted when deployment orders to a war zone came early. I need some insight and understanding why I'm not falling apart. My other children are my relatives are and other people I speak to are stunned that I'm holding it together. I try to explain that I support my son, have to be strong for my family. Am I in denial? What's going on with me? Am I flawed mother? I feel like I'm disappointing those who would like to see me grieve over my son's departure. What should I do? Wow. So, Mom, one of the things that's very, very important, I love it that you asked the question, am I in denial? I think that's a good place to dig in and say, what do I feel? You shared some thoughts. You said, I'm supporting my son, which is very important. You said, I have to be strong for my family. Very important. Doesn't mean you can't have feelings too. So I would say there's work for you to do. There probably is some grief. I can't imagine a mom who wouldn't feel some fear and grief that her son has been deployed. Both things can be true at the same time. I support him, I'm strong, and I feel sad, and I'm grieving. Michael, let's go back to what you were saying because I think there's a connection here with what this mom is saying about her son. Because one of the things we have to struggle with is what our family members think and feel about us. How do you deal with that in borrowed things?
1: Well, there's a there's a two part answer to this. First, I like to address the mom. They, mm-hmm. You know, I think she's in a good place, whereas I think the people around her are, are not, or they're just they're not they're not focusing on now. They're focusing on the potential for a disaster. Like as a matter of conscious experience the reality of life is that it's always now so the future is a thought that's arising now and they are they're they're overthinking and they're, they're already creating something that hasn't happened yet then they're paying the dividend on that aren't you worried that this is going to happen to him and then they're feeling the stress of something that hasn't happened yet it may never happen and I think what the mom is doing is she's focusing on him now and supporting him, and there's nothing actually happened. Nothing has.
0: However, where do you fit in feelings? Because it sounds like you're staying focused on the thoughts, whereas feelings that a mom might have that her son is in danger and feeling some anxiety about it, even if she supports him, is pretty normal. Because both things can be true. We have feelings and we have thoughts. How do you fit those I, together?
1: Well, I, I feel like we never really managed to connect with the present moment because we're always planning for a future happiness or a future disaster. And I, I just feel like because nothing has occurred, the, the, there's nothing negative that has occurred yet. I just feel like I think the mom is, you know, to have a concern is one thing. But if she's su- going to support her son, I don't think that she can worry enough to make him safe. So No, she won't
0: worry enough to make him safe, but there's a normal process. So we might have a disagreement about how those things work, and that's okay, because I like hearing your point of view. But I can't imagine, I'm a mother, I can't imagine not having, even though I can be very strong and be supportive, not having also some secret anxiety. If one of my children was in danger and, and I hear you saying, because I do believe what you're saying is true, that we can project energy through our thoughts. And I certainly would be strapping on what my grandmother used to call the prayer shield and being in the highest level thoughts I could be in for safety and projecting that at the same time. But I want to encourage people, from my perspective, what i discovered is that when we bottle up feelings and we don't give them a channel, remember the word is e-motion. It means energy in motion. Energy is meant to flow. We have to let the feelings flow, give them a safe channel, and then it's easier to hold a positive thought. Now, Michael, this is Modern Love Radio. You have some things to say about relationships and love and marriage. How have they evolved over the years for you, your view on relationships and marriage?
1: Well, I, once again, I, you know, I think the, the old ideas of marriage are outdated, you know. I think marriage was something that was spoken about um, um, in religion, in the Bible, and I think that people have taken that and they've turned it into a business. Um, marriage is a business, just like divorce is a business. And I feel like the um, the actual um, the state of being married, you know, once the wedding is over and the honeymoon's over and the, the spark of the new person is over. What we have is what we what we have now we have dating sites we have married people uh, logging on to these sites looking for uh, an excitement that they that they've lost ever since they entered into this bundle of thoughts, which is marriage, which I don't think is is a, the best thing for people anymore. I honestly don't I don't think court- really why
0: what do you think is better than than having the opportunity to create a healthy love life. What's your view on this? Because you've got some controversial things to say here. Let's dig in.
1: I do. Well, here's the thing. I don't think that a judge should have anything to do with two people coming together and spending their lives together. I don't think the church should have anything to say about it. Um, I don't think that the government should have anything to say about it, about who can love one another, in which way, um, even, I mean, even getting down to the sexual. Uh, you know uh, positions you 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 are limited by law what you are supposed to do. we're talking about human beings being governed in a way that is not working so well, I if think you're
0: talking about marriage equality and things like that, I couldn't agree with you more. I think anybody that wants a relationship wants to have sex their way wants to be married or with whomever they want to be with, I am in 100% support. And any limitations placed on who can get married and what, I am absolutely not a fan. However, I am a fan of committed relationships, and I'm curious. Are you?
1: Yes, I am. I just don't think you need a piece of paper or or a judge or a priest Uh to say that you are officially in love or you're officially okay to do it, so I feel like especially you know after this this election, I feel like that's been torn away from certain people, so you know and I'm not just talking about you know man and woman, obviously I'm talking about man and man woman and woman. These people mm-hmm. are told you can't do this anymore, you know yeah um, yeah. They're being told the loss
0: of, of support for marriage equality is a devastating thing because it begins to put us in the dangerous place of dehumanizing other human beings and there is no place for that as far as I'm concerned ever every human being is valuable lovable and deserves to love who they choose to love and I will always stand for that. I started many, many years ago chairing the Human Rights Commission of San Francisco and taking a stand that human rights extend to all human beings. So thank you. We're in agreement on that. Now, Michael, one of the things you're saying is, hey, people should just govern their own relationships. What do you see as an advantage for people who say we're going to create our relationship the way we want? What's the advantage there?
1: I, I don't think that anyone has the right to tell you who to love, who you can love, um, who you can share. with. Yeah, we affection.
0: agree on that. I'm asking a different oh, question. though.
1: We agree on so that. The
0: question I'm asking is what's the advantage for people who say we're going to create a lifetime of love, but we don't need a paper. We don't need any formality. What do you see as an advantage for those people?
1: Well, I, I feel like it's their only option. So I don't know if it's, if it's an advantage or it's the, the only option for some people. Mm-hmm, mm mm-hmm. so,
0: Yeah, that could be, could be. You know, from where I sit, I would say the one real advantage is that I know that everything is energy and that all energy is connected and all energy is magnetic. The first three laws of quantum physics And that when we think about the energy of a ceremony, an energy of bringing whatever you consider sacred into your union, it gives energy for the journey. And I really believe that if you're going to have a lifetime commitment where you both grow and you both flourish, you need some energy. You also need some tools and some steps. That's why we've created Modern Love Training. That's why you've written your book, Borrowed Scenes. People need information. They need training. Uh, You know, everyone's heard me say this over and over. We spend more time learning to drive a car, learning the rules of the road, learning how to pass a driver's test than we do learning how to be in a healthy relationship. When the research shows there are 50% fewer divorces if you just do premarital training. So I'm going to stop right there. Michael, what do you want to leave us with?
1: Uh, well, I want to leave you first with a, with a free gift. For the- oh, great. They can go to YouTube, search borrowed theme with my name, Michael Evans, okay. and it will come up right now. We're leaving it up on YouTube for free for the next month. So they can go on there and listen to the whole audio. Um, great. We
0: love free books. That's great. Everybody take
1: advantage yeah. of that. So, yeah, so on YouTube and, uh, you know, if if there's one thing I could say um, to anyone who's listening, you know, just just investigate everything in your life before you believe it and let it become part of your subconscious where most people spend their life. I would say 96%, I think. That's a great
0: piece of advice, Michael. I wish we had more time right this minute, but we need to leave it there. Thank you so much, Michael Evans, the author of Borrowed Themes. And it is important, everyone, to do just as Michael suggested. Dig in, ask yourself what you came to believe about love, and then ask yourself where you learned those ideas and those feelings. If they're getting in the way, I recommend that you break those toxic love patterns You don't have to come to our trainings, but we have one every single month, and I know it works. Coming up next, we have Neil Godfrey, Finance Without Fight, and after that, Shailen Pham. Are you lost in the hookup culture? Big thank you to our executive producer LeGrand Green, and to our associate producer Cliff Dunning, and to you, Modern Lovers. Thank you. I love you all. Blessings. Good night.